0: Well, I'm so thankful for Richard and Heather and for Ben and Chilla, uh, and it's, it kind of goes to my point of what we're talking about today. Um, what is it that you are pursuing in your life today? You know, some people are pursuing uh, happiness slash pleasure, and some people are per- are pursuing meaning, and that's what uh, Heather and Richard, and you know, Richard was a very successful uh, Businessman over here in the technology field. Heather was working. They were doing very well, and they felt God calling them to go and serve uh, in a in a poor area where there's great need. Why would you do that? Well, if your greatest value and your purpose in life is pleasure, you would never do that. But is there something more? You know, in the news, unfortunately, we've seen uh, what has occurred this last week. Two celebrities uh, died and. Uh, took their own lives, and, and I kept hearing this comment. People say, man, I just can't believe they did that. I mean, those guys had Kate Spade, and, and they, they had so much money. They had fame. They had everything. Why, if you made that much money, do you had that much uh, notoriety? If you had that kind of control, that kind of power, that doesn't even make any sense if you have all that. Could it be that maybe we're asking the wrong question? That maybe we're placing value in an area that can't ultimately fulfill. There's something, when I was in school, when I was in college, I studied uh, psychology and sociology, actually several things, uh, that's a whole other story, but nevertheless, uh, when I was in school, this was one of, the, one of my majors, um, we, we studied uh, what we call Abraham Maslow's hierarchy of needs, and matter of fact, I want to put that up there for just a moment. And this is the hierarchy of need. As a matter of fact, in our Western culture, we might say, if you had all these, this is what you need to be happy. So the bottom one, our physiological needs, food, water, warmth, rest, safety, belonging, esteem, and living up to our potential or being, a, be a, being able to use creative uh, abilities in, in, our, in our work or in our life. And if you have all those, then you should be happy. But here's the problem. We see that people who have all these, quite often, they have all this, and then they go, but what else is there? There must be something more. Matter of fact, I would argue the two individuals I mentioned to they had every one of those in a big way. Uh, Kate Spade was worth over $200 million, her own line. Uh, She was an entrepreneur. I remember Bourdain said, man, I I got to do everything I wanted, got to go all over the world, get to cook for a living, get to write. I, I got the best job in the world. I got the best life in the world and he and we would look at it and we go they had all of those how could it end so tragically could it be again we're asking the wrong question are we missing a bigger point point? and i would suggest that perhaps we are studies show that americans are increasingly unhappy and we see that since 2009 that people are growing at an alarming rate that say they see no purpose to live and no meaning in life. It's increasing year after year after year. We see the suicide rates continually to increase. And this is in a time where the economy's great, where people have more opportunity than they've ever had. Could it be that maybe we're missing the main point? Could it be that as a, that as opposed to pleasure, God designed us For meaning. C.S. Lewis said it like this, and I love his quote. Put first things first, and the second things are thrown in. But put second things first, and you lose both the first and the second things. Put first things first, and second things are thrown in. Put second things first, and you lose both the first and the second things. We are a culture of second things. What do I mean by that? Well, as believers in Christ Jesus, we feel like we are taught to believe that we are to seek first the kingdom of God and his righteousness, the first things, and these other things shall be added unto you, shall be thrown in. The problem is when we put our desire for money, for success, uh, for identity, uh, for whatever it is, sports, whatever it is, we say this, or with our time and our efforts, they become first things. And then we start to cloud the understanding of why I'm even here. There are four basic questions that humanity is asking. All of humanity asks these four basic questions. As a matter of fact, a lot of people will develop their worldview from these four basic questions. As a matter of fact, I can identify your worldview from these four questions. The first one is this. What are our origins? From where did you come? Was it simply an accident because random chemicals and molecules and atoms, they all came together and they formed the world that we know it and you were just a part uh, of random selection so to speak if that's what you believe then that impacts how you see life how you view death or do you believe the biblical view that god created us god created man and woman in his image the imagodea, the image of god To know Him, to worship Him, to be fulfilled by Him. Number two, morals: Is there any such thing as right and wrong? Are there some things that are always right and some things that are always wrong, or is it defined by the culture? Do you find do you get to define individually what's right or wrong, or does your culture define what's right or wrong? You know, I I don't want to get into this, but in the United States, very often. We will define for other cultures what we think is right, or we may want to um, punish them for certain actions or behaviors, but what do we base that upon? Because we're Americans? How do we know we're right and they're wrong? Just because you feel it? They feel completely different? doesn't make you right because you're the majority or because you're the wealthiest or because you've been to school the longest. That's not a principle to stand upon. It's right or wrong, We believe as believers in Christ Jesus because of what Scripture teaches us is right and wrong, that there are absolute truths. Number three, meaning. What is the meaning of life? Is there a meaning to life? Now, again, if I don't believe there's a God, and certainly if I don't believe there are absolute truths, then there really isn't a meaning. My meaning is to exist. That's pretty much it. and To just enjoy it while I'm here and just exist. And fourthly, what is my destiny? Is this the end? Is life just over? Do I just go into this sleep? Or do I just deteriorate into the ground? Or is there something more? If there is a God of the universe, if He has determined what's right and wrong, if He has designed us for the purpose and meaning in which He intended, then we believe also there's a destiny. Here on earth and ultimately for eternity. And that has everything to do with the way that we see life. You know, uh, Epicurus was an ancient philosopher somewhere between 300 and 400 BC. And uh, as he looked at life, you know, as people talked to him about happiness versus anxiety, he told his students, look, I can teach you how to not have to experience anxiety. You don't have to experience anxiety. Let me tell you four things that you can do in life. And if you'll do these four things, you won't have to worry about anxiety. As a matter of fact, we see our culture, some of the people in our culture adopt this. I sometimes see this in certain movies and TV shows. They'll adopt this Epicurean philosophy of life. As a matter of fact, some of these principles are, are adopted into Buddhism as well. So what's the first one? The first one is this. Epicurus said, don't believe in a God. Just don't believe in a god. Don't let something else uh, dictate you what is right and wrong, or what you should have, or what what you think. You just come up with that on your own. Don't be ruled or guided, or uh, feel like you have to be subservient to some god. Number two, don't worry about death, because there is no god. When you die, you just go back into the ground, or you go into some kind of eternal sleep, and so it won't really matter. Number three, don't be afraid of pain, because if you are in pain right now, if you will wait a little while, it'll go away, and if it doesn't go away, that's probably a bad sign, then you'll die, and then you'll just go into your sleep, so don't worry about it. And then the fourth one, and we see this all the time in our culture, detach yourself from everything. Don't attach yourself to relationships too deeply, to positions, to possessions, or anything else, or any kind of faith, or I mean, just Keep yourself detached. We say that all the time in, uh, in, in our culture. And if I'm detached, I don't have to worry about being close to something. That way, if I lose it, it's not that big of a deal. But that's a terrible way to live. Jesus said, I came that you might have life and have it even more abundantly. So what does the Scripture teach us today about this? About our response, well, Paul teaches us in the book of Romans, chapter five, which is where we are. I want us to look at the first 11 verses. And Paul talks to us uh, about as a matter of fact, we've seen this in Romans one, where God talked about uh, our origin, and, and Paul talks about what, morals and what is right and what's wrong, and Paul talks about meaning. And then we even see throughout the book of Romans. Uh, the issue of destiny, of the future. And so, as we look at this text, Paul is talking about a lot, li- this is about a life of joy, about experiencing joy versus happiness. Now, happy's not happiness is not bad. This is not an anti-happy sermon, okay? That's great. I want you to be happy, but remember what uh, C.S. Lewis said, seek the first things And then the second things will be thrown in. The second things are those things that are entertainment or pleasure, things that make us feel good, things that make us look good. Those are all secondary. When those become first things, we lose everything. And then we have no meaning. So as Paul is speaking here, uh, he's talking about first things. He's talking about the gospel, how we were designed and created to be gods. And we start right here in verse 1. Therefore since we have been justified by faith remember what the word justified means it's mercy mercy is not getting what you do deserve the bible says the wages of sin is death but the gift of god is eternal life through jesus christ our lord so mercy is not getting what we deserve grace is getting what we don't deserve that is forgiveness that is salvation that is right standing before god Through his redemptive process, and how do we achieve this? By faith, by placing our faith, our ultimate trust in Christ. We have peace with God. What does that mean? Peace with God. I've not been unpeaceful with God. That that term right there, really, actually, it's a a war term. It means to someone has been on the throne, and maybe someone has been fighting someone else, and and one of the parties to, to decide. Hey, I will no longer. Fight you. I submit to your authority. You are the king, you are the ruler, you are the leader. That's the picture here. The picture is this that we each want to be the god of our own life. We want to determine our own meaning, our own purpose, and we are constantly at war before we come to Christ trying to push him off the throne, pushing him off and saying, "No, I will rule. I will rule my life. I will rule rule where I am today." I will be in charge. I will be the authority. And so we are not at peace with God till we submit and humble ourselves and recognize him as the king of the universe and the Lord of our lives. When we do that, then we are at peace with him. No longer are we vying for position. We are submitting upwardly to God. And the Bible says that is through Jesus Christ. Through him, We have obtained access by faith, by our trust, into this grace, the salvation that has been offered to us where we recognize I'm a sinner. I cannot save myself. None of my deeds could ever earn my way into heaven. But because of what Christ has done for me, I accept, I am forgiven, I receive the grace of the Lord and my grace in which I stand. And we rejoice in the hope, that word hope, confident. Expectation of the glory of God. So I am rejoicing. I find my joy. I find my meaning, my purpose in the hope of the glory of God. More than that, we rejoice in our sufferings. Now that's a hard one, isn't it? We rejoice in our sufferings. What does he mean by that? Does he mean that um, when we lose our job, we should say, Yay, God! does he mean when we lose a spouse oh this is great i'm so happy does this mean um, when we have some kind of disease or some kind of devastation in our family do we just act like we're all happy no that's called masochism okay what is rejoice remember let's go back and redefine our terms it's meaning versus pleasure meaning joy there is a purpose there's a grander and greater purpose my life for which i am called for which will fulfill me, for which I am striving, as opposed to I am seeking favorable circumstances. Okay, so he says, and it'll be uh, clear when we finish this little passage, more than that, we rejoice in our sufferings because we know that in our suffering, Christ redeems all things. We find meaning and purpose in suffering not that we always understand not that we can say this is the reason but we believe so deeply that God redeems suffering for the believer knowing that the suffering produces endurance the quality of faith it proves your faith it shines forth your faith it strengthens your faith and as he continues here and he says endurance produces character we've talked about this before Um, it's all well and good when somebody gets up and gives a testimony and talks about how great everything has turned out and how good their life has been but what we really resonate with when we hear somebody who has had great loss and yet they choose to believe they're in great pain but yet they still have meaning slash joy of christ in their lives And endurance produces that kind of character. That is so attractive. And the Bible continues here to the next passage. And it says, and character produces the confident expectation of hope. And hope does not put us to shame because God's love has been poured into our hearts through the Holy Spirit that has been given to us. In other words, it's not that you just have to manufacture this strength up. If you're a believer in Christ Jesus, you don't just have to manufacture. But the Bible tells us that God has poured his spirit into our lives. It doesn't mean we always feel it or see it, but there's a supernatural strength that resides within our hearts through the through the power of the Holy Spirit that can enable us to walk through these valleys not with a happy face, but with a purpose face, with a meaning, with an understanding that God will redeem, he will transform, he will use it for his glory. And that picture there poured out, the picture here is like there's a great feast that awaits you. Kind of like Thanksgiving. That's like one of my favorite times of the year. Thanksgiving. Uh, it's Thanksgiving Day, and either my wife or my mother or my mother-in-law, somebody has cooked a, a, a turkey, and I love to go by there and just grab a little piece of that off. It's just, I just love to get a taste of it, you know what I mean? It's kind of like when you were a kid. Remember you were a kid and your mom would bake a cake or cookies or something? My favorite part was licking the bowl. You know, I just got the taste. I didn't get the real thing. I was just getting the taste. That's a picture of what the Holy Spirit does for us. It gives us taste. We're not experiencing it in fullness right now, but we receive taste taste and for while we were still weak why we still didn't understand why we were still away at the right time christ died for the ungodly for one will scarcely die for a righteous person though perhaps a good person would even dare to dare to even die continue but god this is one of the greatest verses in in romans but god showed or demonstrated his love for us that while we were still sinners Christ died for us. Great verse, great subject. Since therefore we have been justified by his blood. Remember what the word justified means. Grace, mercy, and redemption why by blood because the bible said there had to be the shedding of blood for the given sin. that was the ancient understanding hey even in pagan cultures many of them would say there has to be a sacrifice made there has to be some kind of blood poured to show the contrition of the heart but the great news for us is christ said i will die once and for all no longer is that necessary by putting your faith in me i take your sin i take your place and he said, we will be saved from the wrath of God. What's the wrath of God? That's the righteous indignation of God. That's God's settled response to sin and evil. That's his response. We have that and we, we affirm that. When we hear the way that women or children or those who are marginalized in our culture are being treated, and we see them being abused. There is a righteous indignation that wells up within us. And if not, that's not a good sign for you. You are too detached. Okay? We have a righteous indignation and we think, you know what? Judgment needs to become. What is right needs to be carried out. That's what the wrath of God is. And the Bible says for if while we were enemies, while we didn't care about him, while we were against him, we were reconciled to God by death of his son, much more now we are reconciled shall be saved by his life. Now, let me help you understand reconciled and um I made this up yesterday, so bear with me here. So now let's suppose that you have a teenage son. Some of you have had one of those. Uh, Some of you have gotten rid of one of those. Some of you were one of those. We all know one of those, okay? So let's say you have a teenage son, and he loves ball. Let's just say football. He loves to play football. He loves, and he walks around with that football all the time throwing it. And sometimes you have problems with him throwing it in the house there's even been a time or two he's broke something you tell him don't throw that in the house okay take that thing outside but you have a neighbor man you have a rather wealthy neighbor who has a a, a teenage boy too and sometimes your son goes and hangs out with him and uh, apparently at one point your son went over there with a ball and the, the father said look you're welcome to come here but you can't throw that ball in our house we've got a lot of very expensive artifacts and it just so just so happens that he owns uh the Salvatore monday um, the savior of the world the the, the famous painting of jesus uh, by leonardo da vinci the most expensive painting ever sold to a private market for over 450 million dollars that's your neighbor who owns that and he has it in the middle of his house and he's told your son very clearly do not throw the ball in my house well your son goes over because he's a teenage boy he's not really thinking he sees his friend he goes hey catch his Throw is a little in air, It hits that painting, rips through it. Your son goes over. and Of course, he's got a big drink, and he's trying to put it together, and he spills that on it. And here it is. It's completely ruined. About that time, your neighbor walks in. And he's got some righteous indignation going on at this point. Your son's never going to be able to pay that off. He's never going to be able to work it off. There's nothing you, or, you can do or say to make that right you can't just say my bad there's nothing you can do at this point you are in serious debt and trouble but as as the man walks in your friend's son the son of the owner says dad it's on me it's my fault i take full responsibility it's me the father looks and says are you sure Yes, Dad, it's all on me. Lord, or, or, Dad, whatever you need to do, everything that I've ever had, everything that I would have inherited, I, I, I surrender it all. I give it all. And the Father says, okay. If you want to take the punishment, if you want to take the wrath, then I will place it upon you. And your friend is forgiven. He's welcome to come back any price will have to be paid and so that boy takes it upon him that's the picture right there of the wrath of god we need to have it satisfied only christ could cover it and satisfy it so that we might be reconciled put back into relationship with god and reconciliation as it talked about right here it's not just forgiveness it's that. But it's so much more than just forgiveness. Reconciliation is this. We are reconciled. To God. There, there, there was, I was reading about a, a farmer up in Nova Scotia this week who was having a problem with theft. And he had a bunch of his chickens and his and his hogs stolen. And then he came back this week and all the, a lot of the tools that he used for his farming had been stolen. So he decided to do this. He put an ad in the paper and he put some stuff on social media. and He said to the person or persons who've stolen my livestock and stolen my tools, if you will return them, I will forgive you and I will give you a job. I will provide a place for you to stay. I'll teach you my trade so that you can support yourself and so that you can have your needs met. With no questions asked, I will forgive. If you'll simply come and confess and bring it back, I will forgive, I will restore, I will give you a way to make a living out of the goodness of our heart. That's the picture of reconciliation. We confess, Lord, I need you. I recognize who you are. And not only are we forgiven, but we are reconciled. We are brought into the family. We are given full sonship. We are adopted into Christ Jesus. And when God sees us, he sees the Son who has given everything, he sees us as forgiven, as clean, as righteous. We are in right standing for God. We are at peace with God. That's the picture of reconciliation. Have you come to that place where you've been reconciled to God? As believers in Christ Jesus, for us to experience the joy that we need to be experiencing, there are four things that we need to be practicing, and I'll close with this, four things. The first one is this worship make worship a daily part of your life. The Bible tells us in Isaiah 43, we were designed to worship, to bring him glory. It's the way God designed us. It's a purpose for which he designed us. So as we worship, as we pray, as we give him worth, as we give him value, as we praise him, it feeds the part of our heart that longs for purpose and meaning. Community. The Bible tells us in multiple places the importance of community of having relationships with those uh, who love you and those who know christ who can feed into your spirit and speak into your heart and support and encourage you giving the bible tells us in acts 20 35 it's better to give than to receive Uh, one of the studies i was reading that said you know often happy people will take but people of joy will give See, there's that giving principle. It goes back that we were designed to find, uh, part of what we were designed to do is to give. Now, the best way for us to understand that is if you're a parent or a grandparent. As a parent, you won't always say, my children sure make me happy. I'm happy because of my kids. Some of you would say that, and some of you lie, but some of you will say that. (laughs) And certainly we have moments where we're happy, but here's what you could always say. You know what? They are part of the meaning and the purpose and the joy of my life. It's deeper than what you feel. There's deep, deeper. There's depth and richness, and you pour in, you pour in, you forgive, you give, and you give without a whole lot in return. Why? Because of the meaning, because of the purpose. They were created. You cre- You are part of that creation, and God has given them, and you were designed to steward them and to grow them and to raise them. So it is part of that purpose that God has given you and so when we exercise and when we live out our purpose it produces a joy doesn't mean I'm not sad doesn't mean I don't want to tear a head off it doesn't mean all those things but there is an innate joy grandparents you get it better than anybody I mean, don't you, I mean, what do kids do for you? You know what I mean? They don't do anything for you. They give you these ugly scribblings that you put up on your refrigerator that nobody else would ever want. You put them up there and you feed them. You give them sweets and treats and money and, and lots of accolades. You never discipline. You just keep giving to them because, and it brings you joy through giving because we were designed to give. If you start just trying to take from your preschool kindergartner or from your grandchildren, That won't go well at all. They'll hate you, (laughs) and they won't like that. That's the whole principle. We are designed to give, not just financially, not just treats, but to give of ourselves. And when we give of ourselves to our children and our grandchildren, it produces a meaning, a joy. And number four, gratitude. This word, I, I noticed this even on secular uh, you see it talked about in Col- uh, Colossians 3.16, but I-, I noticed pretty much every secular study I saw, it also, it, all of them went back and said, you won't find someone's happy or joyous if they don't have a spirit of gratitude. If You want to teach your children, if you want to do something to modify their behavior, you want to encourage their behavior, uh, teach them gratitude. Gratitude, thanksgiving. I'll tell you this, it goes back to the principle of C.S. Lewis, first things, when i give my life in the lord when i seek to not save my life but to give it then i find joy and i am thankful and i'm grateful if i seek to keep to to uh cover uh to spend everything that i've been given and to not give thanks for all that i have it's a recipe for despair but jesus said i come that you might have life and have it abundantly When we express gratitude and thanksgiving, we are living out the spirit of which Christ intended for us to live, and it throws in the secondary, it throws in the happiness. When I'm genuinely thankful, and I'm giving that verbally, and I'm giving that in writing, and I'm encouraging that, and I'm so grateful and thankful, people are encouraged. God Almighty is encouraged. So how is your attitude of gratitude today? I'll close with this Uh, I was reading a story uh, about a mountain climber and this was several years back and uh, it was in 96 uh, Yamako Noto who was a, a mountain climber from Japan and she was climbing Mount Everest she'd climbed all these other mountains but this is the highest peak and she was so determined so on her first time she climbed it and Uh, those who were climbing noticed that she didn't like to take breaks she just kept going she was the first one to get the top even in hard and difficult times of breathing she just kept going and when she got to the top she was so excited she had reached her goal she was the oldest person at that point to ever climb to the top of mount everest but the problem was on the way down she had so completely depleted all of her energy and all her resources that on the way back down she died and a professional mountain climber said that they said you know she forgot the most important rule of mountain climbing it's not getting to the top it's getting back down let me tell you we live in a culture that talks about just getting to the top but it's not about just getting to the top the bigger issue you're going to have to get down down on your knees and recognize who god is and your need for him and until we get down we will have missed the main point and we'll never know continual meaning and real meaning that God has designed for us what about you have you done that let's pray father thank you for this morning thank you God that while we were still sinners you died for us if there's one here that doesn't know you I pray Lord today uh, they would humble themselves before you and say God I need you and I put my faith and trust in what you have done for me thank you Lord God for the gracious gift of salvation that you have provided And, Lord, I ask to be reconciled to you. Lord, I know I haven't earned it or deserved it, but based on Jesus, his blood and his sacrifice, and my commitment to him, Lord, I commit myself to you. Thank you. I give you worship. I give you praise. I give you thanks. In the name of Jesus, I pray. Amen.